0: Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the Fatherhood Authority. Kenneth
1: Braswell welcome to I am dad podcast I'm your host Kenneth Braswell Um, thank you for joining us for another um, episode of conversation around responsible fatherhood and family Um, I'm always trying to bring you new perspectives and on some of the topics that you guys email me about text me about and wanting to hear more about One of those subject matters is child support, and I just, you know, had to go after the foremost top expert in the country um, to bring her (laughs) to you today, um, Dr. Jessica Pearson. Um, She is uh, one of the co-directors of the Fatherhood Research and Practice Network, um, more affectionately known as FRPN. Um, it was a five-year initiative. I believe it still is a part of that five-year initiative by the Office of Planning, Research, and Evaluation. No? You guys are on your own. You're doing your thing, right? We,
2: a uh, funding ended actually in uh, 2019. To, uh, we stretched it a little bit to 2020. And since then, Center for Policy Research, the nonprofit I direct, mm-hmm. has been funding it and keeping it alive. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that since then Jay Fagan has retired. Oh, so that. my co-director is re- so I am the the director, the queen,
1: however right. you want to put it. <laughs> All right. That's breaking news, y'all. Only here on I Am Dad Podcast. There I'm you bringing go. you breaking there news. You go. So Dr. Jessica Pearson is the director of the Fatherhood Research and Practice Network, let me say right. it the right way. So listen, let's jump right into this because I want to get you out of sure. here. Dr. Pearson, we start our podcast off with a with an interesting question. I started doing it some months ago and people just uh-huh. absolutely love it. My guests never expect it. Sometimes they expect it, sometimes they don't. But my very first question to you today is what is your daddy story?
2: Oh, well, um, I uh, I had a wonderful dad. Um, he uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in a very rough neighborhood called East New York. Wait,
1: wait, wait! Hold on! Stop! Stop the presses right there. First of all, I never knew you were from Brooklyn. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I was born Where and raised in, in. I waited. I was born and wait. I was born okay. and raised in Crown Heights. I went to PS221, then I went to Winthrop, and then I graduated from Erasmus Hall. But when I came back home from the military, my mother moved to what was then Picken Avenue and Stone Avenue in East New York. So we lived the latter I... part of our life in East New York. Now, where were you in East New York?
2: Okay, I was born on... Williams Avenue and, and Sutter, and then I moved up Sutter to Sutter and Van Sicklin. I wow. used to take the A train A-train. at the A train, yup, a Sutter Avenue stop. I would walk to the New Lots train station for 7th Avenue line. I went to uh, Thomas Jefferson High. Wow. And Junior high school 149, and I was uh, a, a public school rat and uh, in very tough neighborhood, East New York. Yes, I lived yes. through block block busting, mm-hmm. um, in which was just devastating to East New to the neighborhood. It was perpetrated by realtors who were just greedy and got, you know, got people scared about Black people moving into the neighborhood, and ch- and it, within a very, very short period of time, the neighborhood uh, became, there was a huge demographic shift, there was mm-hmm. a lot of poverty in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. a lot of hurt and want, mm-hmm. and um, so that was my childhood, and my, I was my parents were both immigrants, basically. They were, came, their families had come to the US really to escape uh, Nazism and Russia, the Russian Tsar who put, had a draft that lasted 25 years and they moved to the Lower East Side. They grew okay. up on the Lower East Side in New York and then moved to, the, to Brooklyn the burbs in those days. And, and that's where I grew up.
1: Wow. Man, I have a whole new love for you now. You are now I can get to say on all the other things I get to say, and she's my homie. I get to say that. We are,
2: we're from, (laughs) I'm from your hometown and I know Crown Heights. I know Crown Heights. And so,
1: and I know we got, that just threw me way off track, but I do have to say this to you I I that you don't know this. On Prime Video, if you have Prime Video, there is a new um, cop drama show called East on new East
2: New York. Yeah, I, I watched the first episode.
1: Oh my goodness! You feel like you're at home. I've watched. I'm on the last. I yeah, watched it, I, I know.
2: I watched it just for the visuals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Just want to make sure that you knew it. When I saw that, was I know it. On, I, I like, knew oh, about my it. Goodness. I was like, sometimes they'll show a store and I'll remember it. I'm like, I know what that store is.
2: Yeah. I know what that corner is. Or the Linden projects or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yes. I know. Oh, my goodness. So we digress. So let's get back to child support. (laughs) Because child support is one of those conversations, Dr. Pearson, that is very difficult to have because of the emotion that is attached to it right and the complexity of it right the nuance of what it is and what people feel about right. it and what they think about it from your from your perspective being a researcher um how hard has it been for you to actually do the research side of it knowing what the emotional side of it is
2: well um i've been involved with Studying the child support program and really kind of testing out demonst- in demonstration projects new approaches that were supposed to or are supposed to be more responsive to the needs of low-income families. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that they necessarily are. I don't know if they've ne- they haven't necessarily succeeded. But really, my whole career has been involved with uh, a period of of, of of evolution of the child support program from a totally punitive enforcement, narrow enforcement approach to something that is hopefully a little more holistic and more uh, responsive to the needs of the population that the child support program serves.
0: Mm-hmm. It
2: started off, you know, like, in the, when it was created in the mid, uh, in 1975, it was really to just um, support widows and divorced women and their children. At that time, there were very few children, the rate of out of wedlock or unmarried births was very low. Mm -hmm. And it was aimed at making sure there was some support for those pop, for uh, divorced women and reimburse the state for welfare that Mm -hmm. was paid to uh, custodial parents, largely women and children. And that was the purpose of the program. And that's why it's, you know, it's, that's its goals, establish paternities, establish an order, uh, collect, um, um, get, get, arrears paid off, uh, be cost-effective. And it really, it's pretty narrow. And I think over time, uh, as time has gone on, uh, the population that the child support program serves has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's now more and more never married parents. Mm-hmm. There are more more people who aren't, solidly in the workforce in a, you know, 40 hour per week job with a, with an employer who can easily pay, uh, 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 withhold child support from wages, do wage withholding. We have more self-employed people, gig workers, Mm -hmm. people who are working under the table. People are doing all kinds of things Mm -hmm. who, and, and they're not, as connected to the regular workforce. We have more and more uh, larger share of <clears throat> the child support population. Um, in addition to being never married, we have uh, formerly incarcerated uh, mm-hmm. parents who have a hard time getting into the workforce and earning the money that will allow them to survive themselves and support new families and also pay child support. Mm -hmm. So it's become a very different population grafted on to a program that was created in another time in history. And also there are some misconceptions that America has about, you know, how you support families and how Mm -hmm. you support children. we, we have this idea of individual responsibility and I'm all for individual responsibility, but it's a little bit of a mythology that individual responsibility alone is what makes a society um, healthy and keeps children uh, well supported. Uh, other societies have better safety nets, they have mm-hmm. child care, they have better preschool kind of support, they have better medical support, they have other safety net programs that help. Some of them have a child allowance that they pay that combines with child support. America only has child support. And mm-hmm. we've seen that it may be a li- Uh, inadequate, not up to the job of really supporting all children
1: um, in the
2: the fashion that they need.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I've always kind of thought about when it comes to child support is that there's this like admirable, almost honorable side of how some policymakers and, and judicial people and other folks think about child support, which is this is the money for the children, and it goes through the mm-hmm. mom mm-hmm. so anything that's counter that is counter that perspective right and so whenever you right. start talking about fathers, the conversation becomes no because if we help fathers and we do that, we're taking monies away from mothers and children right, and that, right. that's that's the emotional tie you see, right
2: well, you see that it does become kind of a you know, if you win, I lose. If I lose, you win. You know, and the bottom line is that Kenny, that there's not enough money to go around. <laughs> the that for what people need, we have typically two poor parents mm-hmm. who have low education levels and don't have enough income, and t- and there are a lot of children to support between their current families and other families. And it's like mathematically, like impossible. You can't do it. And so it's not a, uh, but I'm not going to, you know, say that um, raising kids is expensive. I'm not going to say that it can be done on the cheap. Anybody who's done it knows and that it, it and it's not just shoes and other kinds of visible things, but it's rent and it's utilities mm-hmm. and it's all the invisible things that goes into mm-hmm. living and mm-hmm. caring for children. And so it's it's really a very, very challenging situation and it's hard to be you know, quote unquote fair. And it's hard to Mm -hmm. figure it out when the dollars really just don't add up Mm -hmm. to what they need to be.
1: Absolutely. When you think about the research that you're doing today, like what are you finding that frustrates you the most? Because for me, I started out in New York state child support enforcement. So I know child support, very intimate from both the state level. I didn't know that you worked there. Yeah, okay. and the county, kind of my fatherhood program, when I was running the New York State Fatherhood Initiative, it was within the child support office, right? And it was interesting right. because when it started, um, we were under um Governor Pataki at the time, and Robert Dore um was my commissioner. Yeah, know, he was the Robert, one who hired. Yeah. He hired me. He hired right. me. And so he was my boss, and then him and David Hansel flipped jobs. He went to New York, and David Hansel came to OTDA, and David became my boss. And I never right. I never forget um, Dr. Pearson. He comes in. He calls me into his office, and he says, hey, he says, I want to talk to you about something. And at the time, I was in workforce development. I wasn't in child support. And he says, I want to move you to child support. And I was like, no. I was like, that's not a good idea. And he said, no, I think it's <laughs> think it's going to be best. And I was like, I don't think that's going to be a good idea. Right. He says, Listen, let me explain to you why I want to do it. He says, you are extremely res- uh, respected in this building. He says, if anybody is going to have an impact on how child support thinks about fathers, it's going to be you. And I need you at the head of the table mm-hmm. in New York state to help them begin to see what we're trying to get them understand and I resisted so hard but you know what it was the best thing that ever happened to me because i got in the belly of the beast and i began to understand it and i began to meet people and i began to talk about it and i could really kind of like strip it apart and now that's the thing that i recall when i think about that but when you're doing as you're doing your research today like what frustrates you the most in terms of something that hasn't changed that needs to change?
2: Well um, what has a lot of things have not changed. Um, we have you know we, we're getting you, we're getting to the idea that we should um, base orders on actual income and not impute earnings and not sort of make them up. We should try to use actual information, but we don't have, that's imperfect. We're, we've made improvements. We've got, we've made some improvements in what's called early intervention, reaching out to people early on and and making, being on, un- sending out understandable notices as a, you know, in the old days, you fathers, with parents would just get slammed with the notice and by the time they got notified, they were behind months and months and months or years and years. Um, we still, uh, some states still charge interest um, on child support that's higher, uh, unpaid child support, um, you know, interest rates are up now a little bit, but man, they were pretty low for a long time and we still had states that were charging 10 to 12 percent or two to nine percent you know quite a lot of interest and that generates arrears which comp- get compounded over time and become terrific burdens and we <laughs> have research that shows that more fathers drop out of the system when they are faced with unpayable arrears and uh, it's bad, has bad effects on their kids, well-being of their kids, and they fight with the other parent, there's more conflict, so that's upsetting. I think the fact that we don't have ways of wiping away arrears mm-hmm. and, and sort of compromise, debt compromise uh, is frustrating to me that after all of these uh, years, you know, we have, the debt level in child support debt has grown to $115 billion nationally. Now we know, and most of that is held by very low income people. There's no way that they're gonna get out of it. It accumulated, the meter was running while they were incarcerated Mm -hmm. because now you're not supposed to run it while you're incarcerated. Mm states are supposed to turn it off and they should turn it off not all states do but uh but there is that's not going to be paid and it's and there's got to be a way to discharge that and to compromise it and try to get people to in a mode in a situation where they can pay some of it Mm -hmm. uh and, and then be out, out from under. And we have to stop repaying. some. A lot of that money is owed to state and the federal government for previous paid welfare. Mm-hmm. we got to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. We don't, we're not going to, we shouldn't be trying to balance the books on the backs of poor people that way. We have enough corporate welfare. We shouldn't be trying to, uh, that we're not, we're not, um, Uh, We don't get strict about that, we should not be trying to repay the state for past welfare, off the back support people, we should be encouraging them to support, do what they can to support their families now. Mm -hmm. So that's frustrating to me. And also, I think that solving the child support problem really involves a bigger problem for our society. To get people in a position where they can work and earn, they have to be educated. They have to have job skills. We have to have job training programs that work. Mm-hmm. We have to have um, law. We have to get let people, people who have a criminal background to be able to get into employment and not be excluded because of of, of past mistakes and problems that they've had earlier in their life. So we see, we need a larger society that supports people mm-hmm. and so that it's you know it's not just a payment problem today. It goes to a bigger investment mm-hmm. in low income. Uh, and I have to say for the most part, low income, poorly educated men, Mm-hmm. Of co- often men of color who have you know multiple fertility multiple children by different partners and they've have incarceration in their past and they have they're in an untenable situation financially mm-hmm. and they need more societal support and we need prevention so that their children don't get into the same straits
1: yeah and, we yeah. yeah yeah we um you know here you know we have a fire grant here in Georgia um and yeah. it is um you know we are doing an awesome job here in Atlanta and I'm sure you are aware of the legitimation laws here um in the state of oh Georgia.
2: gosh yes
1: in the, the only Soviet,
2: state in the country the
1: only state in the country and, we're, and i'm still i'm working at it so hard we we are banging around the edges um but i want to but what i want to do is i want to create proof of concept and proof of concept looks like this and i want to um i know you have to go and i'm a i am no, I want okay. to roll in no that's okay i want you to talk about the state by state report and that's what i'm leading into and so uh-huh. The complexity with respect to child support also occurs at how it is um, how it is it, how it is mandated at the federal level, administrated at the state level, and implemented at the county level, and distributed at the family level, right? And so all of that, and then it looks that way. It looks that way fifty different ways from across the country. Right. at
2: least 50 different ways. At least 50- Colorado <laughs> has 65 counties. It's like 65 <laughs> nations. Your state, there states with 180 counties. Well, Georgia Every has 200 something and something different.
1: Right, we got 200 and some odd states, two old counties yeah. down here. It's just, re- it's just, it's really it's crazy. just out. Of- so you in your work has, you have also not solely just looked at child support, but you've also very intentionally looked at policy and programs, right? Right. And looked at what the feds are trying right. to accomplish with respect right. to providing services. Right. And just released a report. Um,
2: right.
1: Called policies and programs affecting fathers: a state-by-state report. Talk to me right. a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Well, I looked around and I saw that you know uh, the Kids Count book. I have it right here. Annie E. Casey Foundation, they have Kids Count book. Every every year they do a state by state. How is the state, this state look on children's health? How does this state look on child well being rankings by state, uh, on education, on health, on family and community? The Children's Defense Fund does that for children. I said, well, where's the book for fathers? where are we where are we looking where's the book that sort of looks at how states are doing on their policies to support fathers Mm -hmm. and so we can uh, where's our baseline and why aren't we tracking that every year why aren't we looking and seeing who's okay who's improving the minimum wage who's improving the eitc who's uh improving health care for fathers for men public health for men who's um who's uh dropping which states are not charging any interest in child in in child support which states have employment programs for unemployed fathers in the child support program or underemployed fathers let's look state by state on what they're doing to which states are, have a lot of low income uh, people in their uh, workforce or their, their um, workforce training programs. Let's go systematically in these basic areas of public life, like child support, like child welfare uh, and maternal, you know, child uh, in health and uh, family law, who's, what are the, what are states doing about custody? Mm -hmm. Legitimation comes right in there. Georgia stands alone in sort of sending up double hoops that at least double hoops that fathers have to jump through. You can't just acknowledge paternity. You have to go and prove, pursue a legitimation uh, process. And and with the goal of establishing a baseline and hopefully tracking that and following and creating a little bit of accountability and pressure. I mean, we put a lot of money in home visiting. I'm all supportive of home visiting. But we don't keep any records of father participation in home visiting. It's not required by the federal government. We do do that for the Head Start and Early Head Start program, but not part of the home visiting program. So in a way, we haven't really considered father participation. and We have in our tracking, our our measurement systems, you know, they don't collect information about the father and uh, we don't know about, and we know even less about any participation or policies by race because we don't really keep good racial data or ethnic data so mm-hmm. that we can say is this policy disproportionately affecting fathers of color mm-hmm. and we and in the child support area you know that it's 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 on child support systems in some states sometimes it's a It's a, I don't know what New York, how it treated it, but it can be just not a mandatory field. So workers can fill it out, Mm -hmm. race information or not. So sometimes it gets filled out, sometimes it doesn't. We need to have it routinely filled out and we need to look and see if driver's license suspension is disproportionately affecting non-custodial parents of color if cooperation requirements are disproportionately affecting custodial parents of color, if they're being uh, required because they are uh, using public benefits programs. We have to see if our interest policies on unpaid child support are affecting um, obligors of color. Illinois recently dropped interest because they did that analysis and they said, you know what, it's racially unfair. And they they dropped their interest charges. So there, sometimes data can help change policy. That's what I'm hoping to accomplish. And that's why I decided to do that. No one supported us, we couldn't get funding for it. Mm -hmm. And we just did it. I just wanted to do that. It was my COVID project. I didn't yeah, do well, COVID.
1: You know what? We um you know, and I, I you know, and I you know, I have you with me, so I and this is my podcast, so I can say this to you now. Um, and I wholeheartedly believe this. I've never said it to you, but I do really believe that I failed you um when we were trying when I was trying to bring you in closer to the clearinghouse. Um, but there it was just elements of the federal government that I could not break through, right? Personalities that I could not break through. Those things don't exist anymore, and so I'm okay. really thinking about how to amplify your voice, how to amplify your work, how to amplify because That's we're having sweet. some challenges as well, right? And so here's some here's a here's a challenge, and I want you to respond to both of these challenges. One of the challenges, if you look at the clearinghouse, we haven't had a lot of conversation about child support for whatever reason, right? But it's very difficult to have a conversation about child support the way practitioners, researchers, and the federal government wants to have a conversation about child support. Different from the way fathers want to hear about child support, right? Right. And so when you want to have a child support conference or round table and you want to bring fathers in the issues that these guys want to talk about nobody wants to talk about they don't want to address those issues which is what continues to perpetuate their hatred for the system itself because they believe there's no humanity in it and we've been really trying to figure out how to bridge those gaps but there are certain things that child support just can't say the second thing is I also believe, and this is only because I've been in the belly of this space um, and I've watched this, and that is that uh, when we are trying to attempt, and Vicki tried this and others have tried it since then, to really shift the branding of child support to be a service, right? Not an enforcement agency, but a service, And I think one of the biggest barriers for that to occur, for child support to be seen by fathers as a service is performance measures. You can't position yourself as a service for non-custodial parents when your performance measures demand that you perform and performing, you collect child support. So those two things don't match with each other. And as long as those exist, We're never going to be able to do. I
2: I agree with you, Kenny. And what I've proposed, I propose in this report is we need a different performance measure. I would say one measure would be here are six progressive policies that support fathers, low-income fathers. I I would say if you adopt all six, you get an A. If you adopt five of those six, you get a B. If you don't put four, four or six, in other words, if you ch- if you have a self support reserve that's above a certain poverty level, that then you should get credit. If you charge no interest, then you should get credit. If you pass through child support to families, and hundred percent to families, or we are generous, then you should get credit. If you have a, a good employment programs with your child support then you should get credit hmm. let's change the freaking performance measure because right. then we're perform where we're, we have that's performance right. why aren't Absolutely. we valuing that kind of performance
1: right yeah no it's just you know it's frustrating because you know on the ground so one of the things i learned this with my program in new york I've seen it around the yeah. country and now I'm seeing it here in Atlanta with our fire program. So in our data, we collect top needs. Tell us your top three needs when you fill out our intake form. Right. Well, For the past two years, the top need has been legal service legitimation child support. Number two, um, housing number three, this year, 2022, Number one is still legal, legitimation. Number two is housing. Number three is mental health. Number four Mm. is child support. Child support Mm. is sliding down the ladder. And so we've looked at data to try to figure out what's going on in the child support space that is now no longer a priority for fathers in the state of Georgia. And what we found is the demographics of the fathers who are coming into our space, 75% of them are, well, only 25% of the ones who are coming into our program are unemployed. When I was in New York, it was the exact opposite. It right. was the exact opposite. And not only that, only fifth I think I think the number was only 15, I have to look at it again, it's like 15 to 18% of the dads that are coming to our space have child support arrears of the ones that's paying child support. And so, when we begin to talk that's to better. them, yeah, when we begin to talk to them, it is what well, We've learned is that dads don't have a problem paying child support. They only have a problem when they can't pay child support. It's not right. they don't want right. to pay child support. Right. It's right. It's they can't pay child support because of whatever yeah. the situation is. Right. And that is one of the things that I've been trying to drum up. That this whole notion that dads are out there right. trying to dodge child support right. is a myth. It's a lie. It's not happening. Right. If you give right. these guys the resources they need, the support they need, and the value of their voices in the spaces, particularly when it comes to getting um, custody and, and parenting time with their children, the research says that when they have, and this is a dissertation that Dr. Shalonda Smith did here in Georgia around legitimation, and she used to work for child support. She actually did the report when she was in child support. I have to send it to you because it's a really interesting dissertation.
2: Uh uh-huh. Anyway, like in to the see report,
1: it. she talks about how fathers are more likely to pay child support when they have both visitation and custody, less likely when they have just visitation and not custody, even less likely when they don't have both. And so right. their right. desire and to pay child support is connected to their connection to their children. And we're not figuring that out. And that's a portion of the right. work that right. still remains uh, to me is still left to remain to be done.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well there we we're now I'm now working with on this big domestic violence project and I in child support, and I'm worried about what it's going to mean for fathers and father involvement because, I I mean, domestic violence is a horrible problem, mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. There's we have to preserve the safety or ensure the safety of of uh, custodial parents or parents in in parenting time and child support, uh, but I don't want all men to be branded mm-hmm. as abuse. I mean, I'm worried about that, that it might detract from, you know, mm-hmm. then, we, there are extreme cases. There are mm-hmm. always going to be extreme cases, but you don't make policy for the extremes. You make policy for, you got a bell curve, you make policy for most people, and mm-hmm. then you take care of extreme cases. Mm-hmm. That's what I think, but, I'm worried about that Kenny and that's well something no, that we make have sure to
1: pull our voice into that because I've long since said, and it still remains true, even when we're talking about domestic violence and that is, you know, our preface my preface statement always is. While we are clear that 95% of all domestic violence cases are perpetrated by men, not all men are perpetrators.
0: Exactly. And right, exactly.
1: And the number of those who perpetrate is small compared to those who do. Right. And we even right. asked a question in our intake. We asked we asked we asked the question, do you have a protection order against you?
0: Yeah. Um, right.
1: Um, do you have you ever been you know, arrested for a domestic violence incident? But then we asked a third question that's also important for these fathers because of what's happening with many of them. And that is have you ever been a victim of domestic violence? Right, right. Right. And a
2: lot of them have been, both as children and as adults. And you should ask not only about legal action, but ask them about if they've been, you know, if they've used violence as in their lives because Mm -hmm. the legal system doesn't always catch up. But,
1: you know, one of the things that I've always been concerned about which is why i'm so crazy about you know performance measures as it relates to grantees you know and they tried it one time before it didn't go anywhere i think that they just got bored with the with the fight itself and that is attaching performance measures of grantees to outcomes like right so how much money you're spending and what is the outcomes, you know, to your point, if child support arrears are continuing to go up, then why are we spending all this money on father? That argument could be made, right? And so, and right. so you got to be real conscious about making sure that right. you're setting your grantees up for success. You know, one right. of the suggestions was, has always been, you know, and I you know, don't have a dog in this fight. I mean, the, it would help me, is that the funding for, particularly for grant, grantors or grantees, should be longer. Those should be 10-year grants, not four-year grants. Um, because Ooh. what happens, and if you notice um, the number of grantees over the last four iterations of the fatherhood grants, if I'm not mistaken, the number is somewhere around sixty five percent, if not higher than that turnover each time, each iteration of the grant, mm-hmm. meaning that sixty five percent of the people who are doing the work don't exist anymore. Um, and the same thing could hold true. And I, I remember Vicki saying this to me one time before and she said, Kenny, do you know that every four years about seventy percent of the four D directors change? And you have mm-hmm. to come back and you have to have the conversation all over again.
2: All over again. All over yeah. again.
1: And so Dr. Yeah. Pearson, I think it is trying to find a way to create a sustainable conversation around what we're doing so that we don't have yeah. to go beneath the radar. So we can stay above the radar and continue yeah. to press what we're doing. That's what I'm trying. That's what I want you and I to get our heads around, particularly when it comes to programs and child support and data and specifically because data doesn't lie and if we can keep data in the forefront of people and really make sense out of what's working what's not working what we could use help for what we can't use what we don't what we can't get from them and then what are the other supportive mechanisms that we should be looking at you made a great point about the state commissions why aren't people petitioning the states to put money into this right it's always the federal government why is it money being put but, in at the local level? Like why aren't there city commissions and county commissions and state? Commissions?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's why in a way, I've been thinking that that we needed these fatherhood grants to be formula grants for the state. so there would be some state buy-in. Maybe the states would have to match them. but every state would get something and be said told, start a fatherhood program it sounds like you're doing work to try to change state policy most fatherhood programs do not get into the policy realm they just enroll delivers deliver a curriculum and flush right and that's
1: you can't if you're looking at long term i have to tell people often even though we're doing great the measure of my success won't be seen for 15 years yeah, and that, so my, the measure of my success is not in the dad I serve. It's in the outcome of the child he raises, right? Right. And so 15 years from now, I want to be in a restaurant somewhere and a kid walks up to me and says, Hey, I remember you, Mr. Braswell. You're the guy that ran that program that my father went through. And I remember my father's life changing as a result of who you were and as a result of that, I have become who I am, right? That's the long-term goal. It's not just about the unemployment number or the employment number or how many hours of curriculum they're taking or how many, you know, the number of DV cases we reduce, all that stuff is important, but that's not the thing at the end of the day, at the end of the day, What are we doing to raise the ability of parents to be able to co-parent regardless of what their relationship should be, which is what I say, just because you're in a relationship, just because you have a relationship doesn't mean you have to be in a relationship. Those are two different things. Your relationship as a co-parent.
2: Yeah. Who do you think is doing good work or savvy or no, is a wise one about changing policy at the state level?
1: So, you know, I'm going to toot my own horn first, right? (laughs) So, because that's kind of where, so I think we're intentional about that. But I do think that there's others. I think that um, now that she's retired, I'm not exactly sure what the strength of the organization still is. But South Carolina did a great job at getting South, the state of South Carolina engaged in the work of fatherhood yeah. at a state yeah. level. Yeah, right?
2: She's, she was fabulous.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to do that in Georgia. I want a statewide right. Georgia system in Georgia. I think that the um, jury is out on Ohio Um, just because of the nature of what they're doing and the small amounts of money that they're distributing, that is not sustainable programmatic money over time. And they also kind of started out looking at, um, um, paternity care, maternity care and those kind of early childhood development things. And now they're expanding a little bit. So the jury is out on, on, Mm -hmm. on, on the state of Ohio, um, New York miserably. When I left, it left. When Robert Doerr left, it left. When David Hansel left, it left. And that typically is what happened with fatherhood programs. And that is when the champion leaves, everybody else goes because nobody wants to do anything with it. Outside of those, and so locally, um, um, Anthem in Dallas is doing a great job um, at impacting and having conversations at the state level. Okay. Um, a non-grantee, Tory in Dallas as well. Um, Who? Tory, T-O-R-I, Tory. T-O-R-I, Tori. They are a reentry program within the Potter's House, TD Jakes's church, and they are kicking up a lot of dust in the state of Texas right now, specifically for fatherhood programs um, that are working with formerly incarcerated um, individuals.
2: Mm-hmm. In, okay.
1: In in, um, in Ohio. And so when I'm what still... do you
2: think about the dad's caucus? The uh, the new congressional effort to use the new congressional caucus. Any any feeling about them?
1: I haven't heard anything about that at all. I have to write that down. The dad caucus.
2: Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. send you something on dad caucus. And Rufus is the guy in um
1: you yep. don't know Pennsylvania. Yes, I remember Rufus. Yes, absolutely. I remember you should Oh, get you know him somebody on. else? Somebody else. I forgot about them. And they and these guys are under the radar as well. And they also got some legislation moved in Maryland. And that's one hundred fathers, Frank Malone in DC. He's out of DC. But they have gotten they have a um a state representative in Mar- in, in Maryland, Jill, I can't remember Jill's last name. Um, but they have gotten some legislation moving in um, Maryland. And if I'm not mistaken, they actually got the commission um, started. It's just not funded. And so it's in legislation to create the fatherhood commission in Maryland, but it's not funded. And I think they have a volunteer person who's overseeing it, but the program department itself is underfunded. I have to send you because I know I do have the paperwork that they sent me. Okay,
2: um, Frank take, Malone, that's good contact and- yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah he's really they're 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 extremely bright they are always moving they 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 get confused sometimes in the state of Maryland like most people get confused whenever you start dealing with policy um to be a father's rights organization and they're not a father's rights organization you know they are simply trying to figure out how to get resources um to be able to do more programmatic services in the state of Maryland and in and in the city of DC. And so I just think that there's a large, you know, I think that you mentioned this earlier, we really have to pay attention to um what is happening with um um HRSA and their early head and their early head start grants because you know their grants
2: mm-hmm. has
1: a requirement in there that their grantees are supposed to serve dads. And so Ken Harris um with night. My-
2: yes, can it, yeah, he's he's made that a requirement, but the mm-hmm. much larger McVee program did not make it a requirement. They they proposed to put in a metric about home visiting that would have measured father engagement, but when the final regulations came out, they dropped it. Mm-hmm. And I think Robert I think David Oles, I bet, was instrumental in getting rid of that.
1: Wow, so there's I a think, lot. There's a lot yeah. out there. There's a lot for us to cover. Let's let's um let's be intentional about yeah anything, yeah yeah that, for any, sure for that you sure. have in terms of reports that I follow, I read all of your your email your um newsletters that come to okay. me. Just so okay, okay. Well, we'll, we'll do
2: that. And, and I'd like to do a. I'd like to actually do a webinar on policy and sort of highlight some patterns that. We can, we see and talk about how we can, you know, how to do a better job of trying to change policy at the state level. The federal government, policy at the federal level is so, right now, nothing can get through. We're just so divided and contentious. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to get through. So the only hope in a way is working at the state level.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a better chance at getting it moving um, at the state level. The one thing I did want to ask you before I ask you for all of your contact information and folks can get in touch with you, and this is a conversation that is now arising. In fact, we're actually planning a um, virtual conference in June around mental health. And so it's uh-huh. one of the conversations that we're not having or we have not had um, extensively around Addressing mental health of fathers and what that looks like and how that impacts their ability um, to be responsible dads, I always draw into this story of Michael Scott in South Carolina um, mm-hmm. as my as my as the guy that I point to when it comes to mental health and child support. You know, here's a 50 year old man, 50 year old man gets pulled over by the police because of a tail light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he gets out of the car and he runs and mm-hmm. he was shot and killed that mm-hmm. day. And when the story came out, it was because he thought he was getting ready to get arrested for a child mm-hmm. support warrant. And my question was, how can child support become such a fear factor that it makes a 50-year-old person run away from a policeman? That's you know
2: the child support program is so incredibly powerful. It really takes your breath away, and people don't know about it. It's invisible. But when you think of new new higher reporting, you know you move to Colorado in two weeks. They Colorado will child support agency will have been notified that you have an order from Georgia for. (laughs) You know, 500 or whatever per per week, and it will be transferred to your new employer if you're in the legit. If you're in the system, and you will have wage withholding. You know, new hire reporting. People don't get it. They don't understand the extent of license suspension and how many things can be suspended, financial attachments, all of this. It's huge. It's Big Brother. It's tremendous. And people don't get it. They don't know. It's hidden. Don't you think?
1: Absolutely not. The power, listen, I remember when I first started working um, at Child Support in New York and we were, I was having a conversation with one of the um, directors there about something. And we were talking about the history of Child Support. And then Lee, um, Lee was his name. He's been in, he's retired now, but he was in child support since like the like when child support started, like seventies. That's how far he went yeah. back. And yeah. he told me one day, he said, "You know, Kenny," he said, "You know, people forget that one of the directives with respect to child support was that it be that that it become more feared." By people than the IRS. That was the directive. That child support was supposed to be more feared to people than the IRS. Yeah. Think about that I as a that. as a as a as a motivator, right? To to put things in place. And I think even today, um, there are still counties in New York State. I haven't seen one here in Georgia, I haven't seen them in a while, but there were counties in New York State that still put the faces of, you know, people on pizza yeah, boxes.
2: posters, the most wanted.
1: Yeah. yeah, I've
2: seen those. They still have those things. They're yeah. miserable, but they still have it. But you walk in any child support agency and people can tell you down to the penny how much they collected and it's drilled down to the individual worker and, you know, you see these little charts and it's, yeah, that's what, that's the metric. That's the metric. I'm saying, let's change the metric. If we want to change our value, if we want to change the the image, if we want to change this what's on the street, let's change how we measure the program and reward it. And incentivize humanity and being and a program that's preventive and that's responsive as opposed to um, you know, just a collection.
1: Absolutely.
2: Purely a collection.
1: So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, how they can find you, how they can get your great. Oh, okay. All that good stuff.
2: Uh, I'm at uh, J S Pearson at Center for Policy Research, all one word dot org, and that's how they can get in touch with me. Uh, email. I know I'm I'm a, I'm a dinosaur. I'm not on all these other social. I'm,
0: I'm just TikTok. Juggling. You don't have a TikTok account. I've got,
2: grand, <laughs> I've got eight grandchildren. I work. I do everything, and uh, I'm not. I, I. That's that's how people can
1: reach me. So all right. So thank you so much okay. for joining. I am Dad. You're podcast. very. It was
2: fun, Kenny. I'll be a host, Kenny Braswell. We asking. will be.
1: Yeah, we will let's, be doing this hook again.
0: Let's
2: things up together. Okay. Absolutely.
0: Let's Take make care. it happen. You All right. Care.
2: Go Brooklyn.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IAmDadPodcast.com. That's IAmDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.